0: Hey, everyone. Hey, when I looked at that bumper today, it made me think about one of our pets. Frankly, when it comes to pets, I'm more of a dog person than a cat person, but... I got to give a shout out to my cat, Oreo. So Oreo um, has three times now at three different occasions alerted my wife to a predator, alerted my wife to some danger. Uh, Three times now he has spotted a snake in the pine straw near where she was working and found a way to alert her to the danger. Well, unlike Oreo, his cousins, the the bigger cats, uh, lions and tigers, they are the great present danger, right? And uh, it's very important to understand that. There's nothing more ferocious in the jungle of Africa, for instance, than a lion. And thus, we've called this series Taming lions we understand that there are many things that are like a lion in that they are predators looking for a prey and often that prey is you and i our culture is one of those predators culture is one of those lions that we need to be careful of and need to understand and hopefully eventually <clears throat> tame our culture has changed drastically in the fast uh, the past 3 months right think about the changes. Suddenly, we, uh, we, we, we we don't have transportation like we used to have. The economy makes us change the way we think about money. Uh, transportation makes us ch- change our mind about vacations, for example. Um, uh, th- we, we changed our lifestyle, whereas we once were go, go, go. Now we kind of have to stay at home a little bit more. Maybe some are still quarantined. And, and so everything has changed. What we've actually found out is, that it doesn't take a lot of change to change a lot. I know it's a little bit tricky, but it's true. It doesn't take a lot of change to change a lot. And one of the big factors in any change is our culture. Culture changes us. Culture is always shifting, always changing, and always, as we saw last week, luring us away from our faith in Jesus Christ Well, Daniel the prophet experienced a similar culture shift. In fact, Daniel experienced a change really even more drastic than ours. I know that's hard for us to understand, but Daniel was literally taken out of his familiar culture, out of his home culture, and thrown into the middle of a foreign culture that was totally opposite to everything he had known, to everything he had experienced, to everything he had grown up with. So when we think about a change in culture, we think about Daniel, and and that's really the theme of this particular series. How do we stay faithful to God even in a foreign culture? Now when we think about culture changes, and we think about culture shaping us, uh, whether we want it to or not, I think we need to ask a question. A couple of thoughts. First of all, the world is changing, yes, but it's really not new. I'm changing, yes, but that's really not new either. Maybe the real question is what's influencing my change? More importantly for you, what's in, what is it that is influencing change in your life, maybe for the good, maybe for the not so good? One of the great One of the great um, instances, one of the great things, influences of change in our life is definitely culture. So, I want to take you to Daniel chapter 1 today, and let's explore how Daniel dealt with a changing culture, and let's learn how Daniel remained faithful to God even in a foreign culture. I think we can pick up some insights from God's Word today that'll really, really help us as we try to navigate a shifting culture, a changing culture, a worldly culture, a culture that really puts us at odds Um, with what we know for faith. So in Daniel's uh, prophecy, we learn this. Let me catch you up from where we were just to set the context. Daniel started off as a young man, a young Hebrew man in Jerusalem, living in Jerusalem, learning the Hebrew language, learning the Hebrew custom, learning the Hebrew culture, learning the law, the Torah, learning how to be a good Hebrew. Then one day, everything changed for Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, decided he wanted to expand his empire even more. So he marched against Jerusalem, laid siege to the city, and eventually took the city. When he took the city, he took captives. Interestingly, he took selected captives. He chose the captives that were the cream of the crop, we might say. The the ones who were Top shelf, if we might say, in the Jewish culture. He wanted some young men that he could form into leaders. He knew that his empire was expanding. He knew that he needed faithful, good leadership. And so he chose to select the best of the Hebrew boys. And his plan was to turn them into good Babylonians. Well, that's kind of what our culture does really, isn't it? Our culture wants us to be good cultural people even if that runs contrary to our faith even if that runs contrary to what we've been around and so nebuchadnezzar brings daniel and some other hebrew boys into the city of babylon in order to change them into good Babylonians. I think if we note his strategy, you're going to recognize that our culture today uses the same strategy to try to change us. It's wanting to lure us away from faith. It's wanting to change us. Really, it's wanting to change our hearts. And that's what makes all of this so important. So don't sign me off just yet. Don't write me off. Don't click the button. Hang on a minute because you're going to see, we're going to see how culture wants to change us, and how we can fight that. So what's the strategy? I want to use four four words to talk about that. Four words to identify the strategy of Nebuchadnezzar. We'll take them right from the text, and then we'll talk about them just a little bit. We begin in verse number 3 of Daniel chapter 1, and here's what we read. It says, the king, that is King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility. From that, I want to use this word to talk about the strategy of Nebuchadnezzar. The first thing he used was isolation. Isolation. His goal was to change their surroundings. So he took the Hebrew boys, he brought them out of the land of Israel, out of Jerusalem. He brought them to Babylon, put them in totally different surroundings. He didn't try to change their, uh, He didn't try to change their hearts there in Jerusalem. He knew that he needed to ins- isolate them to bring them away. Now that's so important because isolation does have a way of weakening us. We talk about isolation more on our more video this week. I would encourage you to take a look at that. You can find it on our website. Just check that. It'll take you a little bit more into thinking about isolation. But we know that society often tries to isolate us. He pulled these boys out away from their home, away from their family, away from their friends, away from their culture, away from everything they knew, away from their scripture, away from their teaching, and isolated them. My, how that works today. How many times have I seen people sucked into a foreign culture through isolation? By isolating themselves from friends. By isolating themselves from Christian community. By isolating themselves from church. By isolating themselves from scripture. The very things. So number one, isolation, very important. Now let's go on to verse 4 and look at what he says. It says, Young men, these were young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. He was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The second word I want to use is disorientation. After isolating them, he tried to disorient them, and the goal was to this time change their perspective. If he could change their surroundings, then he could begin to work on their perspective. How did he do that? He took these guys who were intellectuals, these men who were smart, intelligent, good-looking, uh, with leadership capabilities and abilities, young men who he could see had a future and he could see were special, and he began to reshape their thinking. He wanted to change their perspective, and so he began to teach them what? The language of the Babylonians. Not only the language, but the literature. What's he doing? He's going to introduce them to Babylonian thought. First of all, the language, yes. Now, these boys had grew up learning Hebrew. They had grown up reading the Torah, but now he's going to introduce them to new literature. He's going to introduce them to their uh, uh, polytheistic viewpoint. He's going to introduce them to to other gods. He's going to introduce them to the use of idols. He's going to introduce them to astrology. He's going to introduce them to all kinds of new thoughts and new ideas. Now, immediately, my mind comes back to our culture. And I see how many of our students, how many of our young people are drawn away from their faith by this very thing of disorientation. We go off to college and we get disoriented. We get all kinds of new ideas, all kinds of new beliefs, all kinds of new perspectives. We graduate from college. We start the workforce and how many young couples are disoriented and, and, and begin to have different ideas about what's important, you know, pursuing that almighty dollar, pursuing a career that makes me feel successful. We go right on up the ladder. It's not just young people. Even the gray hairs like me are often have experience dealing with a culture that's trying to change our perspective disorientation. But let's read on. There's a third thing. We notice next, verse 5 says, the king assigned them, King Nebuchadnezzar assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. So the third word that I think is very important is assimilation. Assimilation. And the goal this time is to change their behavior. Think about it just a minute. If I can change their surroundings, maybe we can change their perspective. And if we change their perspective, we can change their behavior. And so he introduced them to all of the fineries of Babylon, all of the freedoms of Babylon, all that they could begin to enjoy. Now, the problem with that is, Daniel knew better. The boys knew this was totally contrary. This was against the law of the Hebrews. You might think, well, what's the big deal, Eddie? Why can't they just enjoy the good food? Why can't they enjoy the the good life in Babylon? Because their Hebrew law had taught them that these things, these delicacies, these fineries, these freedoms that look so good are really a trap. There's really a lion, if you will, waiting in the grass to devour and to destroy. They look good like bait, but there's trouble. The dietary laws, the, the the moral laws, the civil laws were all now going to be different. And the goal of Nebuchadnezzar is to change their perspective and then change their behaviors. Now, one more. Let's look at verse number 7. It says the chief eunuch then gave them names. He gave the name Belteshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. Now, Here's the word that I want to talk about with here. I think it's confusion. The goal now is to change their hearts, to change their their identity, to change their beliefs. Their names are changed. Now, you're thinking like me, well, what's the big deal about a name change, right? Sometimes we change our names. Sometimes we don't like the name. Sometimes for whatever reason we want to change the name. What's the big deal? Maybe not a big deal today, although I would argue that people that change their name do have usually good reasons for that. In Daniel's day, a name was important. A name identified the person. A name identified the character of a person, the direction, the purpose of a person, and maybe even the God that a person followed. In fact, all of the Hebrew boys had names that were identified or connected to Yahweh, their God, our God, our covenant God, Yahweh. For example, Daniel's name meant Elohim is my judge. Daniel, Elohim is my judge. Uh, Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. Mishael means who is like Elohim. And then finally, Azariah means Yahweh helps. But now watch this. When they got to Babylon, the Babylonians changed their names completely. Now we're not even sure. Scholarship is not even sure of the correct meaning of all these names. You can read different ideas from different places. But one thing all scholarship holds in common is this. All of their new names, all of them that had these new names, all of their names refer to Babylonian gods. Now they've changed from reference to Almighty God, Yahweh, to different gods in Babylon. Why? They're changing their minds. They're changing, watch this, they're changing their, their, their perspective, yes, but they're going even deeper now to change their identity. Your identity really is what? Who you are, right? What you're about, what you're here for. What, what your who your God is, those are the things that really shape your identity. If you want to be careful, shape your identity to those things. Know who you are, know what you're here for, know whose God you who, who is your God. You need to know that you are a child of God. You need to know that you are here with a purpose, and that purpose is to glorify and honor God and to seek his kingdom and to fulfill his kingdom. And you are here serving Yahweh, the eternal, everlasting creator of the universe. Now, that's who we are. But you know what? Culture will try to change that. Culture will try to slip you away from that and make you think that your identity is found in what you look like, or your identity is found in what you do to make you successful, or your identity is is successful upon or or dependent upon how much money you make, or, or how much you excel at a sport. You've got to be careful here because the society, culture wants to change our identity with the goal eventually of changing our hearts. That's what's happening. These boys had a challenge in front of them. Would they remain faithful to God even in this foreign country, uh, culture? Now, let me come back to our lion motif for a minute. Because here's what I'm afraid of right now. I'm concerned right now that somebody out there is is thinking, I don't see the big deal in this, Eddie. I I certainly don't see a danger in adapting to our culture. Well, can I just tell you, you you need to think that one through just a little bit. Let's come back to our lion motif. I remember uh, being in Africa, East Africa, in the land of Kenya, And every time I go to Kenya, I go on a safari. And I remember one particular safari, we were looking for lions. I wanted to see a lion in the wild. Now, granted, I didn't want to get too close, but I wanted to see a lion in the wild. And as I thought about that, as we went around looking for these lions, I realized that lions were hard to see. They blend in with the landscape. They're camouflaged very well, and so they're difficult to see. On this particular instance, we finally spotted a lion, and we spotted the lion with the help of a guide, and the guide had found the lion because the zebras who were nearby were at full attention, their eyes poised on something. I didn't know what that something was, but our guide understood. They're watching a lion, so we pulled closer. And we watched those zebras, watch intently that lion, sensing the danger and knowing that that lion could pounce and probably knowing they're number one on his menu selection, if at all possible. But as we drew closer, here's what I also saw. I also saw antelope. I saw um, uh, boar hogs. I saw uh, deer. We saw all of these other animals very in a very precarious situation. And here's what I noticed. They were all grazing with no attention given to the lion. In fact, they were grazing within 20 yards of the predator. 20 yards. I wanted to say to them, what are you thinking getting that close to the lion? They saw no danger whatsoever. They were just enjoying the good of the land. Listen to me carefully. I wanted to say to them, you need to run. You need to run as fast as you can. Now, what does that have to do with anything? has to do with everything. Because the Bible tells us, the New Testament tells us, that Satan is like a lion. He uses the same motif to warn us of our enemy, our King Nebuchadnezzar, if you will, our foreign culture, if you will. Here's what he says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Peter says, be sober-minded, be alert like the zebras, have your heads up, Look up. Don't be looking down. Look up. You need to be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. How does that lion operate? How does that lion pursue his prey? You know what? Very similar. If he can isolate his prey from the rest of the herd, his chances of catching increase. If he can disorient his his prey, if he can make that uh, that prey not know where he is or where he's running to or where what he's running from, he has an advantage and a chance to increase that. If he can confuse his prey, oftentimes lionesses will work together and one will hide in the grass while the other pushes them toward the, the prey toward that lion hiding in the grass. And, and now there's confusion. I, I, I see this lion. I'm, I'm running from it. I don't know. I'm running right into another one. The truth is when lions appear, everybody needs to beware. That's something we have to understand. So as we think about culture, if we look at culture as a lion that needs to be tamed, we need to understand that that culture is watching us like a lion watches his prey or her prey. Usually it's the the female who's hunting. We need to be aware that, we're, that there's a lion about to pounce and that this culture is far more dangerous than we understand. And we need to quit looking down. We need to quit playing around with culture. And we need to understand the danger. We need to understand that it wants to lure you away from Jesus and wants to change your heart and shape your mind to fit its scheme and not the kingdom. So here's our takeaway for today. Uh, It's really kind of simple, but very effective. Don't be a dummy. (laughs) Uh, uh, Don't be a dummy. Don't be an antelope. Don't be a deer. Be a zebra. Keep your head up. Be alert. Understand that you have an adversary who is coming against you. Now, let me just close out by saying this. You may be asking, so how do I reverse that? How do I guard that, Eddie? Well, let me give you a thought very quickly. I think if we think about the order of the strategy of, uh, of Nebuchadnezzar and we reverse that order, we reverse the whole cultural problem. For example, first of all, change your heart. Change your heart. Let God change your heart. That's, we call that repentance. Repent, changing your mind, changing your heart. And then when you change your heart, you can change your behavior. Don't try to change your behavior without changing your heart. That's just going to be frustrating. But if you'll allow Christ to change your heart, then you can change your behavior. And if you change your behavior, then you can change your perspective. When your behavior changes and your heart changes, your perspective on life changes, your perspective on culture changes, and then finally that will lead to changing your surroundings. I promise you. you may not, you're not going to want to be in the same places. You're not going to want to be saying the same things or doing the same things. I wrote something down that I really wanted to leave you with that I think is pretty important. This little thought. The world shapes culture by starting with our surroundings and ending with a new identity, but the gospel starts by giving us a new identity in Christ and ends with us finding our place in a new community. The key... Letting Christ change your heart. Yes, the world is changing. That's not new. Yes, I'm changing. That's not new. The question is, what is influencing my change? I trust it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I trust it is the power of God living in you. One last scripture and I'm done. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Paul says, don't copy, great advice, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by what? Changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. If you're going to change the way you think, let it change from thinking like the culture we're in to change to thinking like God desires us to think. Let Christ change your heart. He'll change your behavior and eventually your surrounding and you'll escape the pause of a devil that's out to destroy. Let me pray with you just a moment. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are gracious and kind and that you care about what happens to us. I thank you for showing us that there's an enemy out there who wants to pounce and destroy us. Father... Help us right now to trust you and to run, to run, to run away from the enemy, to run away from the lion of culture, and to run to the Father. I pray that you would move in our hearts right now. Now, folks, let me talk to you just a moment before I finish that prayer. Maybe you're there today, and you're sitting in front of your screen, your device, And you're thinking, you know what? I feel like I have been sucked into culture. I feel like it has changed me in a a way that I'm not pleased with. And I want to escape. Here it is. You begin. You begin by running to the Father. Running away from the devil, yes. Running away from the culture, yes. Running away from the enemy, for sure. Running away from the lion, yes. But listen, it starts with running to the Father. Don't just run away from something. Run to someone. And you... And run to the Father, just giving your heart and your life to Him. You do it simply through prayer. Turning away from your sin, that's repentance. That's confessing our sin to Him. Confessing that we've messed it up. And then trusting Him. Believing that He does care and believing that He loved you enough to die on a cross to make atonement, to make reconciliation with you and committing your life to Him and to His culture, and to His Word, and to His way. You can do that today. In fact, I'd love to know about it if you did. There's a place right on your screen just, uh, just for you to check and just to lift your hand to us and say, Hey, I want you to know I've asked Jesus into my heart today. I want you to know that I'm turning my life over to Christ. I want you to know that I'm running to the Father today. Or maybe you're not sure about that yet. Or maybe, maybe you've already done that, but you're still struggling. There's also a place for you to click right now that someone's waiting to pray with you. A pastor's waiting to pray with you. Uh, 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 a committed uh, follower of Christ is ready to pray with you. Just click that and you'll go right into a separate private chat. And you can pray. Someone will pray with you. I don't know. But I'm trusting today that you'll understand and not be a dummy. But understand that things can change a lot in your life, and it doesn't take a lot to change simply running to the Father. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.